Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your life. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Lift your eyes up. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show, sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books in a variety of categories under 11 different imprints, sold worldwide wherever books are sold. Today we have as our guest Glenn Hurricane Schwartz. Glenn is a certified broadcast meteorologist doing the weather on TV for 47 years of or 40 years of his 47-year career. His specialty has been in forecasting and severe weather, especially hurricanes. He co-authored the award-winning Philadelphia Area Weather Book in 2002 and was inducted into the Philadelphia Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame in 2010. In the mid-80s, he became the first storm chaser at the Weather Channel and was one of their designated hurricane specialists. He got his nickname in New York City after an anchor saw video of him being blown around during one of his hurricane chases. He lives in the Philadelphia suburbs with his wife, Sherry, and is a lifelong Philadelphia sports fanatic. For Sunbury Press, Glenn is the author of the novel, The Weathermaker, under our Milford House imprint. Glenn Hurricane Schwartz, welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show. Thanks a lot, Lawrence. So, you know, you're a superstar on TV with the weather, and you've taken this little sideline here to write a cautionary tale. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that adventure to writing a novel. What what drove you to do that? Well, I, I've been interested in writing pretty much my whole career, and it's not real common for scientists to be accepted writing to the general public, and that has been my main focus, my main skill over the years, both public speaking and in writing. And it's like I'm the middleman. I'm not the guy who does the research. I'm the guy who explains it to the public. But I do make my own forecasts and do it directly to the public. But when we're dealing with current events that are so important and so widely misunderstood, I thought it was a good vehicle to try to explain more of the science of climate change and weather modification and trying to fix the climate if we ever get desperate enough that I can't talk about on TV. There's just not enough time. So I can write it in the form of a novel, try to make it entertaining, and have the science accurate at the same time. Well, your lead character, I, I have to ask you, uh, Neil, <laughs> is, he, is he really yeah. a little bit of Glenn? Well, there is a, a little bit of him. Physically, it is nothing like me because Neil is the classic leading man type. And if you take a look at the picture of me on Twitter or Facebook, you'll understand that I am not the leading man type. Um, but the inspiration for getting interested in the weather as a kid 
that Neil does is because of baseball. And that is what happened to me when I was a kid. I loved playing baseball. And we got into a position where there was just a whole bunch of rainouts in a row. And I decided when I grew up, I was going to build a machine where I could control the weather. I could turn off the rain so we could play baseball. So with Neil's character, that's kind of how he started too. And there are a couple of other similarities to me, but I've tried to make a new character based on a lot of the meteorologists that I have met in my TV career. So would you say this is um, a very serious thriller, a little more tongue in cheek, or maybe just a, a it's a, an <laughs> allegory, an allegory to try to convey the science and the concerns that you have. Yeah, it is an allegory to try to uh, explain it. But at the same time, I tried to make it entertaining. And look, the things that I know, I know about weather and I know about TV. So I'm talking about weather, obviously, but I also have a lot of experience in the TV business. And a lot of the book is behind the scenes. What happens at a local TV station? And what would happen if a TV station had the opportunity that they have with Neil, where he all of a sudden shows that he can actually control the weather? And so there are a lot of pretty much true stories of things that go on behind the scenes that a lot of people have found interesting. So he's sort of like a Moses who can part the Red Sea, move the clouds <laughs> away. <laughs> how, how does he do it without giving away too much? Well, he actually at first didn't realize that he could do it. He was just frustrated and he throws his arms up and I look at it as the way Steph Curry, after he hits a three-pointer, he, he puts his arms up like in the form of a V to the sky. And then all of a sudden, the clouds start building. Or the opposite, the clouds start shrinking. Now, he can't make it rain from nothing. There have to be clouds. So what he is basically is a human cloud seeder so that what he's doing has some basis in science, except that airplanes would be doing it instead of a human. And uh, you allude to the, if you have it rain in one place, the water has to come from somewhere. So thus the ramifications of trying to control the weather. Right, and there have been a lot of examples where this has happened in, in real life, and that's what one of the things that I've tried to do with the book is to grab from reality as much as possible. And there have been cases where either states or countries accuse the other one of stealing their rain because, let's say, they had a drought and they decided to try to do this cloud seeding and increase the rainfall, and the next state downwind didn't get the rain that they were expecting, and so they accused the other state or the other country of stealing their rain. These are actual things that have happened, and 
The other thing that I have is that if you change the weather in one part of the world, it could possibly affect the weather in other parts of the world that you don't even realize. And that's part of the controversy about trying to control the climate. If we try to do something over the United States, things might change in China and maybe not in a good way. And they might not be very happy about that. And so there could be all kinds of international downsides and complications to the idea of trying to save our climate. Yeah. I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, this book is what we're also calling climate fiction or cli-fi. And there's a gentleman who's a U.S. expat out of, uh, now he's out of Taiwan, and he's really been pushing this category. I think he invented the the name of it, and I know he, I don't know if he was on to your book and recommended it to us or if he got on board a little later, but I know he's been talking about this for years, trying to raise awareness about climate change. And uh, Right. And he, I did uh, search for him. Um, I found him online. I did contact him, and he's the one that actually recommended you to, ah, me, so to that's submit what happened. the book. Yeah. yeah, Danny and I have had conversations in the past, and he's recommended other manuscripts to us over the years. And I know he's a real advocate for this. So I wanted to right. kind of get into into that uh you know we're thrilled to have the novel i think it's it's a great book to educate to tell a story yeah it's got some sensational things in it some almost paranormal like things in it but it's also uh as you say very based in science so let's talk about the science for a little bit you know you're an expert Mm -hmm. in this tell us a little bit about what you're seeing here in 2020 uh, regarding climate change, is it still a concern? Is the dial is the dial still turning up? Is it is it fading? Is it up and down? What, what are you seeing? No, that dial just keeps turning up, and there is uh, very little effort worldwide to turn it down because it's going to take a worldwide effort. And one of the reasons that things don't get done is because one country says, "Well, they're not doing it." So I'm not going to do it. And so you end up with this evolution of weather changes. And look, I've been forecasting the weather, as you said, for 47 years. The weather is not the same as it used to be. And a lot of people recognize that. I actually study the numbers and forecast it every day. So it, it kind of became a suspicion at the beginning of the century, 2000, 2005, a lot of us meteorologists and climate people were starting to think that maybe there was some actual change going on now instead of just projecting it to the future like the computer models were doing. Climate scientists have known about this for a couple hundred years, the greenhouse effect. You put that stuff up into the atmosphere, carbon dioxide and others, and you're going to warm up the earth. It is basic physics. It's as accepted as gravity. It just happens. And it will continue to happen as long as we keep putting more and more of this stuff in the atmosphere. Now, what's been happening are these actual weather changes 
dramatic changes are happening way faster than we scientists expected. So obviously there are errors in any kind of computer projection. And there are people on the other side who don't want anything done saying, well, it's just out of a computer and computers are wrong sometimes. And, yeah. But in this case, they're also wrong by underestimating what is going to happen to the actual weather. We did not expect hurricanes to be strengthening at the rate they're doing. This is unimaginable from even 10 years ago to see hurricane after hurricane strengthen at an incredibly rapid pace and in places that they never did that before, like the one that's just been out there now, Epsilon, out in not, not far from Bermuda. Hurricanes don't do that out there. And this is the case with all kinds of weather, floods and record heat and record droughts, and, of course, the influence on wildfires. Our climate is changing, and it's changing quicker than a lot of us thought, which really gets the scientific community extra concerned because there has not been a lot of action in, in dealing with this. So how do we get to a storm named Epsilon? I know we, we try to put... <laughs> We try to put names to storms, and it seems like we've run out of names, and now we're into the Greek alphabet. How'd that happen? Yeah. Well, it didn't used to happen. We never had 25 uh, storms before. That's one of the things that was unexpected. We, we would expect storms to strengthen more because the ocean's warmer, but would there be that many more? If everything else is favorable, these things are popping up like crazy. And so we've had this alphabet for all those years. I worked at the National Hurricane Center, for example, back in the 70s with the guy who made up the names for that decade. He picked them out of a baby book. He, he named them after the secretaries at the Hurricane Center and to ex-girlfriends, for example. And so you have all these lists that have since been taken over by the World Meteorological Organization. That's why a lot of the strange-sounding names. But the alphabet's only so big. <laughs> and then you run out, and then they go to the Greek alphabet. Uh, the other thing that happens is once a storm is so strong and has such an historical impact, they retire the name. So they have to keep coming up with new names. Right. So you're telling me that Camille might have been named after some guy's ex-girlfriend? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> okay. I will tell you that Anita, for example, back in 1977, I believe, was named after the actress Anita Eckberg. And, and this guy, his name was Gil Clark, and he was given the assignment to come up with these names. And you will notice that some of them are um, very sexy Hollywood actresses <laughs> of that time period um, and other people that he knew. You've got to make up the names from somewhere. Now, the name has to be um, understood or be able to be pronounced in other languages because hurricanes are international. And it's not all over the world. 
they have a whole different set of names in the Western Pacific, for example. But in the Caribbean, the language is different. So they have to be careful that one name doesn't mean something bad in a different language. So uh, right. there was some yeah, consideration for that. But yes, he, he actually named one after himself, named Hurricane Gilbert in 1988, which oh, okay. at the time was the most intense hurricane ever recorded in the Atlantic. And it was named for the guy who named them all. Wow. Hey, let's let's bring this a little closer to home. Uh, I'm originally from the Reading area. I know you're down in Philadelphia. I now live out near Harrisburg. So this whole southeastern PA region, uh, you know, mid-Atlantic. Tell us a little bit about the weather here, like in southeastern PA. What what do you think we've experienced as far as change over the last couple decades? And where are we going? What should I expect here as a homeowner in <laughs> southeastern PA? Right. Well, one of the things that you're going to be seeing is worse flooding. There's more moisture in the air when the atmosphere is warmer, when the oceans are warmer. It's more water vapor. And so any given storm produces more rain now than it did 20 years ago. And this even affects my day-to-day forecasting. I see a a certain type of storm, and let's say I might have predicted three inches of rain out of it. Now I'm maybe predicting closer to four. So you have more flooding, more extreme flooding. There will be times when there are droughts, and the droughts may become more extreme. There are times when there are heat waves. And the heat waves may become more extreme. Let's say come earlier in the season or last longer. This is what's happening out west. One of the reasons for the horrible fires, the fire season starts earlier because the heat builds up earlier, dries out the ground earlier, and that sets them up for the potential fires. So in Pennsylvania, we're dealing mainly with more flooding. In some cases, there could be stronger, more intense storms, uh, thunderstorms and tornadoes. But we're not necessarily talking about more, but maybe more severe. Yeah. The hurricane threat is there. Remember what happened to Sandy in 2012. I don't think Sandy would have happened if it wasn't for the changing climate, that the melting of ice massive amounts of ice up in the Arctic has changed weather patterns around the world. And that sometimes causes storms to stall or move in different directions. And so you may have future hurricanes that that would have just weakened because the ocean's so much cooler up here. Now that it's warm enough, it may hold together by the time it gets up to uh, the Philadelphia area. And that could bring more flooding and wind to southeastern Pennsylvania. And in the snow department, there may not be as much total snow in a season or as many snowy days, but when everything does come together with more 
water vapor in the air, yeah. you can get bigger snowstorms. We never had 25-inch snowstorms in Philadelphia before. Three of the four biggest snowstorms in our history have all happened in the last 20 years. How many more years till all the ice has melted in the Arctic and Antarctic? seems to be melting <laughs> well, very quickly. Yeah, the Antarctic is, is just so massive. It'll take hundreds of years if, uh, yeah. if the whole thing is going to melt. And if the whole thing, if all ice on the Earth melted, the sea level would rise to such a degree that you know, you'd have to live in the mountains. In the meantime, the ice that's on the water, when it melts, does not increase sea level. Right. But let's say the ice on Greenland, which is melting rapidly, that puts extra water into the ocean and raises the sea level. And again, these things are happening way faster than we had expected. And it creates more flooding. There are more days of flooding at the Jersey Shore, more extreme flooding at the Jersey Shore. This happens all over the East Coast. It happens all over the world. And it's just going to keep going. And it, it might take 100, 200 years to melt everything, but you don't need to melt everything to have right. just absolute catastrophe on Earth. Philadelphia is how many feet above sea level? Well, 20, 30, uh, 40? parts of the city are like just a few feet uh, yeah. above sea level. Um, but it really rises as you get toward the northern and western suburbs. So it's, it's possible that one day um, where I live in Jenkintown, Montgomery County, outside of Philadelphia, that may become the new Jersey Shore. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, the, the Jersey Shore and Miami and Miami Beach and Norfolk and New Orleans and there's just lots of places all over the world. There's a lot of people who live in coastal cities. Yes, sir. They're not going to be around a hundred years from now. Now, the question is, how fast is it all going to go downhill? And what are we going to do about it? Because it's a, it's a really difficult thing to do. And as I talk about in the book, if you go a little bit too far, you can get in a bigger trouble than if you did nothing. And you're going to get arguments on both sides. And in many cases, you're going to end up not doing anything of great significance. And then you get to a point where society panics. And yeah. that's what I think is going to happen. And, yeah, at some and point. it's going to be desperation well, to imagine try to a, fix the climate. Imagine a situation where, let's say, New Orleans gets flooded again, and then it doesn't drain. It turns into a Venice. <laughs> you know, what happens if they abandon yeah. it? You know, you're going to start to have... Someday, I hate to imagine something so tragic, but a place like New Orleans might be where it starts, and other coastal towns will then experience that. Well, look, um, Miami Beach is already uh, suffering from this. They're getting flooding on sunny days now, yeah. and the real estate values have already been affected. That, that people are starting to realize the the danger 
involved in the, in the future. Glenn, we are just a few minutes away from the end today. I have a, <laughs> I have time just for a couple quick questions. So uh, mm-hmm. if you could, just a short, you know, 30-second to a minute answer. Your scariest moment mm-hmm. as a screen chaser. I wanted to ask you this, and we're running out of time, and it oh. could probably be a long story, but do you have a quick story on no. being a storm chaser? No. The, the storm that I chased the longest was Elena in 1985, a week and 3,000 miles because it kept changing direction and stalling. And when we it finally changed direction, and we had to try to drive all across uh, North Florida through Mobile and, and toward New Orleans, we stopped in Mobile to make a phone call to the Weather Channel. We didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't have satellite dishes. I had to go to a phone booth and make phone calls and be live on the air from the phone booth. And as I went out to the phone booth, a piece of glass came by and actually grazed me just above the eye. Oh. I know you're a big Philadelphia sports fan, and we don't have time to get into all the uh, problems (laughs) with the the Phillies that we've suffered through, even though it was a God, a shortened season. Um, we're watching the Eagles now, so I'll ask you about the Eagles. Uh, what do you think their record's going to be, and are they going to win the East with a losing record? <laughs> well, I think somebody's going to win the East with a losing record. I, I don't really see anybody winning more than eight games. Um, so that's why the Eagles have a chance. But I still think that they're likely to end up with a losing record at the end. And then it's just a question of how bad are the other teams. Um, I would have thought Dallas would have gone ahead, but with Dak Prescott injured, that that leaves it all wide open. It's just embarrassing to watch the NFC East. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, but it's it was pretty... just a couple of years ago we had the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I, yes. I always try to remember that. No matter what happens that's bad, I waited 50 years for a championship in football. I still – I still so, play the yeah. the Philly special every so often just to smile. I, I yep. feel the same way. It's still near enough and dear enough that you can still feel that uh, that happiness. But um, yeah, when we lose <laughs> to Wash, we lose to the Washington football team and barely beat the Giants. I guess next week will tell us mm-hmm. a lot when they play the Cowboys. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, it it is definitely painful. And it, it's always been painful to be a Philly sports fan. And I've put some of that frustration in the book, too, because uh, one of the things that the weathermaker does is he gets affected by organized crime that tries to have him fix a baseball game and a football game at different times. Um, that if you can make it rain at a certain time, make the field muddy, you can affect things that gamblers uh, care about. There you go. Like the scores. And so I've used my sports interest and knowledge in a novel about weather and changing the weather, too. Um, but look, I, I started covering the Phillies in 1964, the biggest collapse oh. in history. Oh, and I still I was born. contend that that helped determine my personality and my attitude toward life. Uh, forever. <laughs> Made me a permanent pessimist. 
Well, Glenn, we're down to the last uh, less than a minute here. I did want to wish you well. Is there anything else that you're working on as a writer? Is there a sequel to The Weathermaker in the works? Well, I I do have a couple of sequels already outlined. I have the basic plot lines, but what happens is every time I rewrite it, I have to change the details on the science because the science has evolved so much. So I haven't actually written the sequel yet, but we'll see how successful the first one is. Maybe my, my prayer is that it can end up becoming a Hollywood movie because there's lots of action and romance and, and all the Hollywood people care about climate. So somebody take a hold of that and then there'll be more interest in those sequels. All right. We've been talking to Glenn Hurricane Schwartz, the author of The Weathermaker. Glenn, thanks for joining us. Thanks. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak Network. You can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com. Mm-hmm.